Now it's time for Spot on Sports. Here's your host, Mike Trezza and Mike Cadone. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Spot on Sports, New York's premier sports podcast where we talk sports, all New York sports, and nothing but sports. Plenty of Mets talk for you for tonight. Plenty of Yankees talk tonight. We'll put a bow on the Islanders season later on with Johnny Sticks before we do any of that. Let me say hi to my partner and my co-host, the coach, Mike Adone. Trez, a pleasure as always. A little disappointing with the Islanders. You know, you mentioned them before, but we're going to, as you said, put a bow on it. Uh, we'll find some interesting things to talk about, about uh, unrestricted free agents with the Islanders and such. But we do have a lot of news with the Yankees, with the Mets, who will be playing each other ironically this weekend. Uh and and a couple of little surprises we'll end at we'll throw in at the end. Yeah, you know we've got a lot of good stuff uh, tonight, Mike, and and also you know we're reaching a couple milestones. We don't want to make the show about us. It's not. It's about sports. Uh, but tonight is our twelfth show, so congratulations on a dozen. Couldn't have done it without you. Same to you. They said it couldn't be done, <laughs> but we did it. Um, it's also we're in that sort of transitory period now that. The New York uh, sports teams are completely out of the winter sports playoff sweepstakes. Uh, we start to turn our attention fully to baseball. Baseball comes front and center. It's the midway point in the baseball season. It's also the 1st of July. So uh, a lot of transitioning happening right now. We're going to start with the Mets tonight, Mike. And to bring that uh, home with us is our Met reporter fresh off the 18th green. Uh, it's Chris Caputo. Chris, uh, Trez, and Coach Mike, how are you tonight? Mike and Mike, how's everything going? Good to talk to you. It's great, uh, Chris. A rough one in Atlanta, though, for the Mets last night. Uh, Peterson, a short outing, got hurt, uh, ended up the relievers not doing such a good job, ended up with Almora on the mound, a position player taking over. You guys took it on the chin last night. First of all, and most importantly, what are we hearing about Peterson? Uh, it sounds like he's a little tighter than uh, what they expected. So don't expect him to make his start, his next start. He was supposed to make two more starts before the all-star break, but um, you know, that right side hurting kind of sound like what the had, had at one point, but um, sounds like he's going to miss his next start. And I wouldn't expect to see him until at least after the all-star break. And that kind of puts the Mets in a, in a tough spot. I mean, you're looking at, um, guys going down here and there and and um at this point you got the grom walker stroman uh he's, he's away from the team right now with a bereavement in the family but should be back to pitch against the yankees on saturday and then you're throwing mcgill out there but they are are going to be tough for a starter for five days from now and um you know even the grom is saying He'd like to keep pitching, and he is on schedule to be the starter the day before the All-Star break, in which case he said he would not pitch in the All-Star game if he pitched the day before the All-Star game. You know, uh, Chris, before you came on with us, I had Coach Mike looking up the weather down in Atlanta. Please tell me it's sunny and beautiful and that Jake is making his start in Atlanta so I don't have to see him on the mound at the stadium this weekend. I know that's what you want, and I got the matchup <laughs> I want. You know, you, you know who he's pitching against tonight in, in Atlanta. Yes, your man be, Anderson, your protege. Yeah, it does give a little matchup I'd love to see, but I really need the Mets to, to break out tonight and, and knock Anderson for about seven runs, and uh, that would be great. Um, you know, you always want to get on target with the Mets uh, early as, you know, their offense is really the, the thing that's putrid right now. I mean, they just, they can't hit their uh, like 26th in batting average. They're under, uh, or, you know, like 230 in batting average. Um, their slugging percentage is terrible. They've only got 72 home runs this year, which the only two teams below them are the Pirates and the Diamondbacks who aren't going to come close to contending this year. They need some pop back. And um, I'd like to see it, obviously, before they play your Yankees. Um, and they're saying that uh, Nimmo and Davis are two guys that are kind of on their way back. 
But this lineup wasn't hitting when those guys were there. Um, I don't think you're going to see that against Garrett Cole. But hopefully the Mets have a little bit of an advantage on Saturday and Sunday with the Yankees. Chris, I was going to mention, you know, you, you brought up obviously the hitting, which is by far uh, a huge concern for Mets fans and the team itself. Um, I want to just focus on the pitching for a little bit that we touched on as you came on. Um, with uh, with Tyler McGill, you know, he, he was a double-A guy, had a half a month in triple-A, and now Mets are looking for, for big things from him. Um, you know, it's been said that his attitude is is really one of a big leaguer already. Calm guy, doesn't get flustered much. Uh, you know, he he's taking the place of uh, Jared Eikhoff. You know, I'm curious, in that move, do you know, did the Mets have to get rid of Eikhoff before uh, they did in terms of keeping McGill on the roster? Was that, a, was that a move where they could have kept both those guys, or was it just that Eikhoff was so bad they said, it's time for you to, to hit the road? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm not sure. Uh, he was designated for assignment the other day on uh, Tuesday, but I just think you know, he gave up five runs over six innings on Monday, and he's got a four and a half ERA. Um, they needed more arms, you know, and they're bringing up and down uh, Oswald and Reed Foley and uh, trying to throw this other guy as a pucky in there. I mean, they are just grabbing at straws to try and get guys up. And it's hard when you have guys that can throw three or four innings, but then you have nobody in the bullpen. And, you know, normally we we talk here, guys, and we talk about the fifth starter. for, But who's the fourth starter right now? I mean, it's just um, – it's it's a really tough time. And um, it sounds like Carrasco's still not going to be around until August 1st. And forget about talking about um, – you know, Syndergaard hasn't even thrown. So we're, we're looking at at least September for him. So – I expect the Mets to go out and try and get another starter. I think number one would probably be Jose Barrios from from the Twins. Yeah, Chris, I was going to say that as well. You know, I, I think you can at times afford to be somewhat patient, especially when you're a first-place team, but we feel this this lead just slipping away by the moment because it is, quite honestly. You have Washington playing great baseball. Philly's not that far out of it. Uh, I, I think if the team waits a little bit too long, and tries to patch this up with all these games and double headers. Uh, before you know it, the momentum is going to be completely lost. So it's an interesting time. It is. How much do you give up for one of these guys? Um, is it a matter of really going for it at this point? Can you do that? A lot of questions. A lot of questions here. Uh, you know, you just think with Peterson going down, Lucchese before him, and and the issues that the Groms had. Quite likely, you would think he's going to miss a start here or two. You know, just just from uh, previous history. So I agree with you. I think it's time to, to go out and make some sort of move because they're, they're doing their best bringing these younger guys up. But this is, uh, this is high-pressure stakes, high-pressure time. Carrasco and Syndergaard, you know, I mean, cut you off there, Chris, but I, you know, we've talked about best-case scenarios for them. Something just tells me we're not going to see them this year. Yeah, and, you know, the Mets have to act now. I think I, you know, we talked a couple of weeks back and I talked about 16 games that they had with the NL East. And no matter what happens tonight, you know, win, lose or rain, um, they're not going to have a, a 500 or, or better record during those 16 games, which is not good. No. And I think if we were to talk earlier in the season, the team that would have the chance to catch the Mets would probably be their opponent tonight. And that's the Braves. But at this point, you really have to look, and I know, uh, Trez, last week you were talking about the Nationals. Um, they're, they're really starting to get hot. Uh, the Mets did not do well against them. I believe they don't face each other um, until the month of August again. So that's going to be kind of two matchups during the month of August that could be big. I think at that point, those two teams could be going. But, you know, um, the Mets are scoring most of their runs, if you look at it, in the eighth or ninth inning. They don't wake up. And that's not good. You know, three and a half runs a game. This stretch has not been good. And, you know, Conforto, McNeil, those guys are going to have to start to step up. I really don't worry too much about the Mets bullpen, although at this point now you've got Batances done for the year. You're trying to find out what you're going to get from the other guys in the bullpen. But for me, really, I don't know if it's going to be a boom where they all wake up or all of a sudden Lindor, Dom Smith, McCann all start hitting at the same time. But that's what they need. And, you know, we've gone from two weeks ago saying, hey, the Mets are great. They're in eight, eight games above 500 to now. They're just trying to hold on. 
Yeah, Chris, uh, my brother Frank, who's as big a Met fan as you and Gadone, commented us uh, and said that, uh, you know, the games against Atlanta are much bigger than the games against the Yankees, which, of course, I agree with. But, um, you know, I wanted to ask you specifically about something that pertains to the Yankees series, and that's your ability to get both Dominic Smith and Alonzo into the lineup at the same time. Do you feel that they'll do that all three games, Chris, or just two out of the three? And does that advantage you vis-a-vis the Yankees in the series? You know, not one guy is really hot for the Mets, so I don't think they're going to do it that much. Um, You know, especially since they're saying this is now the weekend that they're going to start bringing guys back. So um, I could see against Cole that, um, you know, they play both. You got the the designated hitter, um, but I really don't see it happening all the time. I think they're going to try and get, you know, guys like – Nimmo going to play in Syracuse. J.D. Davis going to play in Syracuse. And then come up and, and be ready for the, the the Yanks. So I don't think they're going to try and play them both at the same time. I think they're going to try and get the guys from Syracuse to play right away. Uh, even, um, you know, VR is going to be ready. So these guys, they're coming back from different injuries. But according to what's out there, this weekend, you're going to have two, if not three of those guys back. Chris, before we were talking about, or you mentioned Dylan Patances, uh, once again, the ghost of Brody Van Wagnon strikes. Uh, you know, you said his season is over, and basically his Met career is over, it looks like. Uh, very disappointing, you know, for him and for Met fans as well. He's thought of, of as one of the, you know, best guys in baseball, great story, um, not someone who was looking to just collect a paycheck. Uh, but that that's uh, that's something that's, I believe, going to kind of go by the wayside here, but You know, we thought two years ago when he was due to come in that he was going to be a big-time player for the Mets, a a major part of the bullpen. And that, you know, not much was said or thought about him coming in this year, but that's a serious loss for this team. Yeah, and, you know, it wasn't a big hit. I think um, his first year he had like a $10 million contract, and then I believe this year he's making about $6 million, if I'm not mistaken, and – um, that was his player of, option, though, correct? Correct. Uh, so he came back and took that, figuring he would well, pitch well. And then he's he's no dummy. Tomorrow. I'll tell you that. I would have taken it, too. And, and you know, he got drilled in, in the minor leagues the last couple of days. And they're like, oh, don't worry. He's fine. I mean, he was he I think he, he walked three guys and hit a guy, gave up two hits and the Met, and gave up four runs. And the Mets are like, oh, he's going to come back to the major leagues. Um, you know, the Mets have at times done well with some of these small guys. They try and pick up guys like Brad Brock and, you know, they throw these guys out there that, um, you know, can pitch for a short period of time. But it is said that you had a guy across town, you thought you picked up was going to pitch well for them. But um, I think you're right. It's another bust, but I'm still high on what Diaz is doing. You still have Lugo who um, I think he just needs a couple more chances, but you just need to see the Mets in a 4-2 game, not a 1-1 game. Now, 4-2 going into the seventh or eighth. And then I think they can hold on to some of those. But I can't even see the Mets putting up four runs right now, which is pretty sad. Well, just before we finish, I'm going to bring up two two names that will make, unfortunately, all of us cringe. we got to stay away from former Yankees, including one Robinson Cano. Who was Ooh. another? Ooh, yes. And is he still on the team? He's on the roster <laughs> apparently, or you know, he's not getting paid. Um, and, and you know, unlike Bobby Bonilla. Yes, I'm and that was the other thing. It is Bobby Bonilla Day, <laughs> and if, for those of you who don't know what Bobby Bonilla Day is, Bobby Bonilla is paid one, and I believe one point seven million dollars a year for the next oh twenty years. Perhaps the smartest contract in the history of baseball. Uh, on Bobby Bonilla Day, I'm going to tell you right now, though, Mets are going to bust out. The ghost of Bobby Bonilla is going Ooh. to be put away. Ooh. Yes. Ooh, you're making the, the ghost some, sound. Some bold We're turning the cor- there. We are like turning that. the corner out of the Bobby Bonilla era. He's, we're going to pay him off. Hopefully, Steve Cohen, pay him off, get rid of him. Although he's, he's trying to, I heard today, do some kind of promotion at City Field. I don't know if you heard about yes, that, Chris, the, with an Airbnb. Yeah, they're going to allow a fan to to book an Airbnb stay for four people at City Field for two hundred and fifty dollars. It includes a team gym and shower, and it's a promotion that even allows you to throw out the first pitch at a Mets Braves game in in July. You know, they're taking an old thing that people are upset about 
and trying to make it into a positive, which I think is good, um, you know, because this is not going away. It sticks around for another 15 years. Um, so it's, I think, you know, $1.2 million a year, you got to kind of make a little bit of a, a of a joke at it. You do. But the only thing that, that comes to mind with me is the term lipstick on a pig. You can do the mm-hmm. best you want to try to get away from that bad karma. But you know what? It's always going to be there unless we do something else. But, yeah, that's a great point. And right well, now, think about this, guys. The Mets could be in a situation where Trevor Bauer could be on their roster. And if you kind of looked at him in the, oh, media yeah. the last few days, he stole our thunder. Awful. Could you imagine? No. They have just they have just banned um, Mr. Porter, the former GM, for at least another year for the stuff he did with the Cubs. Now, look at the stuff that Bauer has done in the last few months. Not even he did this before he came to the Mets. I mean, that signing would have been awful if it would have come underneath the Mets. And I got to give Coach Mike a little bit of credit there, Chris, because he was the guy I finally had to pin him down and get a yes or no from him. He finally said, I don't want you to sign Bauer. This was in the offseason. So credit to him. Uh, Right now, Chris, Alonzo is approaching respectability, 13 homers, 40 RBIs, 264. Right now you have Smith. He's at six homers, 29 ribbies, a little bit low on the average, 245. Of course, Lindor is still a little low on the average, but uh, the production with the homers with nine and and 26 RBIs. Uh, McCann is starting to hit a little bit, seven homers, 28 RBIs. Is there one guy out of the regulars, Chris, to the extent that the regulars are still in the lineup, that you're looking for maybe a little bit more from than what he's given so far? Well, number one, Pete Alonso, I want to see more for at home. His home runs are all coming on the road. You don't even want to take a look. He's had one home run at City Field, I believe. Wow. Um, yeah, that's that's the tough part is guys are not doing it at home uh, for the Mets. And, you know, I'd like to see him you know, snap out of it there. Um, and I, you know, obviously Lindor is getting a little bit up there. But, um, you know, I think the guy that needs to snap out of it as far as overall is probably McNeil. Um, he just needs more at bats and he's, you know, only hitting about a buck 65 since he's come back from the injured list. Get him going. And then I think that kind of helps the rest of the lineup. You can't have the, the stall at the top of the lineup. I'd love to see Lindor move out of the two spot. You know, if J.D. Davis is coming back, let him back there. Put, put Lindor down in like the five slot. Let him do something different. Change it up a little bit. Um, but I think, you know, as I said, I think the guys are looking for consistency. And um, I think this is the time right now that you need to get a solid lineup. And what helped the Mets earlier in the season was having a good bench. We sat there and go, oh, VR is good off the bench and Peraz is good off the bench. The Mets need a good bench. They need that, that Thursday afternoon game where all the subs play. And they put up 13 runs. So I think the guy I'd like to see, you know, jump out of it is Jeff McNeil. All right, Chris. So fantastic job. Uh, As a buddy of mine used to say, when it comes to this weekend, I'd say good luck, but you know I'd only be lying. Yeah, I think it should be a good matchup uh, Friday night with, um, you know, you look at – all the numbers as far as strikeouts high, walks low, go to Garrett Cole. But ERA and just efficiency, you know, I would definitely look at the Mets and uh, and Walker. Uh, so I think that'll be a good matchup Friday night. I am really, unfortunately, not looking forward to Sunday night's probably 7-6, 11-10 game. You know, the starters are just not going to be good. Um, I expect to see a lot of home runs that night. But, hey. It should be fun, and then they'll do it back up again. And, you know, September 11th will be a fun time at uh, at City Field. We'll see you along the way, Chris. Thanks again. Terrific job. Okay, guys. Good luck, and uh, enjoy all the playoffs. Hit them straight. Absolutely. Thanks, Chris. Okay. Safe travels back. And, and I just wanted to mention we had a comment from uh, John Reynolds on our board who said the whole team has to hit better. And absolutely. Seeing one guy break out would be nice if we could get that, but my gosh, it is it is amazing how the Yankees and the Mets have kind of mirrored each other at times this year with their inept hitting and uh, and sketchy pitching. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's so funny, Mike, because um, if you notice the black shirt, 
I mean, I'm I'm like going to a funeral tonight between. I'm uh, only the, dark uh, blue. I'm not I'm not in the black yet. Be, between the Islanders' um, demise, which we'll get into in a little while, with with Johnny Sticks, between uh, between the Yankees. Oh God, that so much to get into. We'll get into it in a couple minutes with Declan. Uh, between the Mets' tough loss last night, just it's been a rough week in New York sports. It has, and it it kind of matches the weather. You know, it's been a crazy heat streak here in the in the Northeast, and uh, you think it's going to break? There were some storms. Uh, that was something I, w- I was going to mention about this weekend's matchup. I wonder if the weather will play in because you know we're looking at storms a little bit on Saturday and on Sunday. Uh, you know, will that impact? There are seats available still, which is interesting. I did a little research on that for the series, all three games. Wasn't really expecting it to be sold out anyway, but um, you know, with with this post COVID, but they're still uh, they're they're still advertising the heck out of it. Yeah, and before we bring up Declan, two things really quick. Got to mention Michael Anthony at the control. Always does Always. a terrific job. Also got to mention my friend Ray, whose podcast, his political podcast, is taking place at J12 Studios. Remind me to promo him again at the end. But right now, here to talk some Yankees with us, folks, is our Yankees reporter, Declan Krogman. Declan! Thank you guys for having me on this rainy afternoon that is just absolutely miserable after last night's loss. What the heck is going on with the Yankees, Declan? I'm blaming you. I mean, you know, they go up to uh, Fenway. They get their rear ends kicked in. Uh, Monday night was a disaster. Tuesday night, they actually looked good. Last night, they knocked Otani out of the box early. I'm thinking, okay, this one's going to be, you know, over early, over easy, and I can get some sleep. What in the heck happened in that game? Uh, it, it's really unbelievable that you can knock a guy out who's really been in, not only an MVP candidate, but perhaps the biggest story in baseball this year. You slack him for seven runs in the first inning, and not only do you lose that game, uh, but now you're potentially, with the rain today, you're essentially looking at a, at a lost series here uh, to a team that is well out of the race in the AL West. So, First of all, I don't care what anybody says. When you have a guy that's uh, as great as he's been hitting and, and as good as he's been pitching this year as well, uh, when you have a guy that hit two days in a row, hit two home runs, played nine innings of both games night, the two nights before, and then comes out and walks three guys in the first inning, you know he's fatigued and you know he's tired. So I don't see a world where he's able to pitch every five days and hit for three of them uh, and just be successful or, more importantly, stay healthy. I mean, I'm, not, I'm never worried about his hitting. But pitching-wise, I mean, to see two-thirds of an inning against the Yankees and he gives up seven runs, three walks, or was it four walks, and uh, and a couple hits is, is troublesome uh, at best. I'm 100% uh, with you on that, Declan. Yeah, I'm 100% with you on the Otani thing, but I want to focus more on the Yanks right now. So they bring in Chapman. Uh, in the ninth, I mean, by this time, it's, you know, 1245 in the morning. Uh, you know, I, he's awful last night. They got to go to L- Lucas Lidke, who's even worse. So let's start with Chapman. What exactly? He's been he's been bad for a few weeks now. What exactly is going on with Chapman in your view? Yeah, so he's just looked – he looks wild. Uh, he looks like – you see him always, and he used to do this a lot. Uh, especially a couple of years ago, and even going back to his days in Cincinnati uh, before he was traded to the Cubs, uh, before he was traded to the Yankees and then traded to the Cubs, uh, he has this thing with his fastball where he finishes high. And when he finishes high and he loses his confidence in the fastball, you see him often go into the well with the slider. And when you go to the well with the slider consistently, it won't be that hard when you're not looking for that 102, 103-mile-an-hour fastball and you can just sit back on a 92 sometimes 87, you know, from the 87 to 92 range of a slider uh, to try to make some noise. We saw Altuve do it in the playoffs, and it worked good. Uh, so it's without that dominant fastball, when Chapman doesn't have confidence in his fastball, I don't care how great his split change is, although it is very good. Hasn't been great recently, but throughout the first, uh, first couple months of the season, it was really good, and he was electric. But when he doesn't have that fastball going, uh, he's a completely different pitcher, man, and, and, and it's been showing the last seven or eight times he's been out there. Yeah, Declan, uh, Coach Mike here, you know, uh, looking at the box score, this is something I've watched baseball a long, long time. And you have the bottom of the first inning, home team scores seven runs. Top of the ninth inning, 
away team scores seven runs. I mean, that is, that's an Elias baseball bureau. I think, uh, look into, if you have time later on, I'd love for you to, to look for that. But, uh, I know I'm making light of the game, but one question I had for you, you know, these are all to say they're must wins. Of course, they're all must wins at this point, especially for a team that's struggling, or at least you got to be competing and you can't, can't lose games like this. How is Aaron judge not in the lineup last night? I, I don't get that. You know, um, uh, Otani comes in, you know, marquee game. It's a marquee pitcher. Um, I'm assuming that Judge wants to go up against the best. You know, he's the face of their team. Um, didn't hear anything about, uh, you know, needing a day off or he has any kind of injuries. How in a, a game important like that does he not get in the lineup? I just don't get it. Yeah, well, I understand that. That's definitely fair criticism, but I'm not going to too too much get on Judge uh, for a couple reasons. One, it is a four-game set. Uh, and we have asked him to play center field, which is a much, much more physical, physically grueling position than right field is, especially when you're a guy of his stature. So it is different. Um, also, he has led the team in games played. Him and DJ LeMay, you have at the top. That's only his fifth game miss of the year. Uh, he had played 28 of the last 30. Uh, or was it 29 of the last 30 games he was able to play? So he was needing that day off bad. Of course, it comes at the worst time, but... They did just come off a win the night before. But, you know, I, I can't I can't sit here and disagree with you, Coach Mike. I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, this guy is a, right now top five MVP candidate in the American League. Uh, going up against another American League uh, MVP candidate who hit two runs the night before and is now going to pitch in your stadium for the first time in his career, you would think you'd want your best player, your franchise, you know, the cornerstone you know, face of your franchise, uh, to be in the lineup. So it was unfortunate to see him out last night. It, it's... I mean, did it have the greatest impact considering they put up seven runs in the first inning? Maybe not, but I'm with you on that one. Despite the fact that he's been playing uh, more games than many would expect based on his injury history, that was the big knock on him. It was never anything about his physical play, mm-hmm. his talent on the field. It was always if he can stay healthy. Sure. And thankfully he has. But yeah. To see him out, out that one game is just unfortunate. Yeah, I'm with you on that, Declan. I thought too much was made of that thing last night. You know, it's like, well, how dare you sit against Otani? Well, I mean, listen, Aaron Boone's trying to win baseball games for his team. He doesn't care about Otani. All of a sudden, I mean, you can't miss a game because it's Otani. <laughs> I mean, it's like, hey, listen, Aaron Boone is, is trying to uh, win games. And unless you think Aaron Judge is going to play every single game, game for the rest of the season i thought a lot of it was was much ado about nothing um and i want to take you back to tuesday night's game declan against the angels because there was one inning in that game that was the complete opposite of everything the yankees have done wrong um this year okay and it was the inning where if you recall it was Gardner with the sack fly, right, where the guy had to reach right. into the stands to to grab that. Um, both base runners, I think it was Andujar and uh, Urshela, moved up, head, heads up base running. And then DJ comes up with a runner on second, two out. And my wife was actually watching the game with yes, me. I, said, I think it was the second inning. And they yes. had three runs. It yes, was, they were down two up, two nothing, and then wound up, wound up going three two that inning. Exactly, and, and I said to my wife, I said DJ has to get a hit right here. He did, and then something else that's not been happening for the Yankees this season happened. Judge came up, and he actually hit a homer with a guy on base. They <laughs> talked about this, Declan, uh, that sixty one that night of the Yankees. Um, hundred homers they've hit so far this season have come with nobody on base. That inning was emblematic of, I mean, really just the antithesis of everything the Yankees haven't done this year. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think w- we had Judge last year, uh, last week. Uh, he was on, you know, a Michael K. Show. They were talking about it, or I don't remember if it was during the broadcast or on Michael K.'s radio show. Uh, but they were talking about he had. I want to say he had at this point 14 home runs and 10 of them were solo shots. Uh, that's just something you, that's not going to be a huge recipe to win baseball games when you got your guy hitting third. Whether that's on Judge or if that's on the guys at the top of the lineup not getting on base, as much as we could sit here and talk negatively about the Yankees, and we will because right now it's a disaster. Everything needs to change. 
I mean, it, it really is just it's it's unbearable to watch. I mean, the Mets gave up 20 runs last night and nobody cares. So that's one thing, uh, except Coach Mike and Chris, of course. <laughs> but oh, and you I, knew I wasn't going to let that one go, Tackle. I knew you weren't going to let that that's one okay. Go. No, but, I appreciate it. But it's it's unbelievable. The yeah, I mean, the Yankees right now is it's just it's a whole different ball club. The mindset's not there. You don't go looking into this game like, oh, is the, are these exciting players? And like some of them are, but you you just don't want to think that way because it just seems like every time there's no small ball boomer bust. Guys are striking out at ridiculous numbers. But the one guy I'll have to praise is DJ LeMayhew. Last week at this time, he was hitting like 259, 261. And now he's up to around 275. So he climbed his average 15 points up in a week. I often say 300 hitters are going to hit 300. And I think he'll still wind up hitting 300 this year. And he's proven me right this week. And I'm trusting the process with him because the process seems to be working as of late. Now, Declan, you're a young guy, so you're you're not old enough to remember uh, George Steinbrenner. Uh, Mike would tell you this, that at this point, we probably would have been on Yankee manager number three, uh, general manager, general manager number four, uh, George Steinberg. He, he was something else and and he was known for obviously a little too quick of a trigger. Uh, his son, Hal Steinbrenner in charge now actually met with the media this morning. He had that pre-planned and he made it crystal clear that he backs, uh, Aaron Boone, 100%. Um, and that, that's just such a difference from what it was in the, in the past. I wonder, though, um, you know, at this point, everybody always loves to, you know, point a finger. Who Whose fault is it? Whatever else. Um, does Brian Cashman at least have a little bit of the blame at this point for putting a team of this, uh, you know, caliber with, with these weaknesses? Or is it just kind of an off year for this group? Yeah, I blame Cashman more than I blame anyone else, as much as it pains me to say. I mean. And this guy is a great general manager. He won us a couple of championships. He's done his job superbly. But as of, you know, the past decade, really, he's been a completely different guy. He's afraid to make the big deal for moves. He's afraid to move these prospects. And what he does is he prospect hoards. He keeps all these guys. And then he waits until their value is gone. And then he calls them up. They get slacked. Chance Adams comes to mind immediately. I mean, this guy came up. He was being in trade talks for Jacob deGrom, for Christ's sake. He comes up. <laughs> plays terrible, pitches even worse the next year, and gets DFA'd. Now you just lost all your value. Esteban Florio's the next guy on my mind right now. He's another guy who has been hyped up, highly touted, and now you let him rot in the minors until he's 24. You call him up for a game of a doubleheader, then send him back down for another three months. I can only imagine what they're going to do with Dominguez. Davey Garcia lost all of his value after pitching pretty good last year and even going into the postseason on the roster in the starting rotation. Now he's not even on the on the team. He pitches poorly in a couple starts this year, sends right back down to the minors. So my biggest thing for Cashman is not only is he too slow to pull the trigger, and another guy, Hal Steinbrenner, is the complete opposite of his father. I mean, he he is he waits too long to do anything. He has absolutely no will to move any pieces or to make any moves, personnel anything. He wants no part of it. Uh, and he's completely hands off. And Cashman right now is all he's going to do is he's going to, you know, be frustrated with the team. He's going to back Aaron Boone. Aaron Boone will be will survive the rest of the season. He'll somehow, somehow, but in the grace of God, find a way to be uh, the manager of this team next year, despite if this team wins 83 games. That's how bad it's gotten. There's no stones in this management whatsoever. They will trade for nobody. Actually, check that. They traded for Tim LaCastro today. <laughs> We're going to the World Series. That's a game I mean, changer. Get him up here. Get him wow. up here. What do they want to do? <clears throat> All the guy does is get hit by pitches. Is that what this team's <laughs> looking for right now? Uh, you know, um, like us, folks, and comment us. We're getting some great comments tonight. And I just want to piggyback, uh, Declan, onto what uh, Coach just said, and that was about Cashman. Interesting comments. Cashman, who's usually much more tactful, came out with a rather blunt comment uh, this week, a couple days ago, and said, we suck. And I'm like, thank you, Captain Obvious. Do you really <laughs> think so? What was your reaction to Cashman's comments? Well, he's not wrong. I mean, this is a team that goes and wins <laughs> seven out of nine games and then goes into Boston and gets swept. Yeah. Uh, now loses two out of three from the Angels. <laughs> and I mean, this team is historically bad for the New York Yankees. But continue. I'm sorry to cut you off. I'm sorry. Yeah, you know, two guys I, w- I was going to mention. And listen, it's unfair to put it on any of the guys right now because, honestly, uh, we talked about it early in the season. The lineup was terrible, miserable. And now that they've finally gotten that straightened out, 
both the uh, bullpen and the rotation has fallen apart. But I want to point to two guys, Declan, that have been emblematic of that suckage, if you will. And that's uh, Clint Frazier. He of the five home run, 15 RBI, 186 batting average, and also my favorite whipping boy as of late, Glaber Torres, he of the three homers, 26 ribbies, and the meager 242 batting average. It's it's unbelievable. I mean, I can't believe Glaber is the same guy who had 284 or 281 uh, and 39 home runs in 2019. 38 home runs in 2019, excuse me. Uh, it's unbelievable. As far as Clint Frazier goes, uh, I always say this often when having discussions with some of my teammates or even even guys just talking baseball. For me, I love Clint Frazier, but I'm obsessed with what he can be, not what he actually is. Right now, he's a 186 hitter who was a gold glove finalist last year and who came into the season with already knowing that he had the left field, the starting left field drop job on lock. I don't know if that changed him completely. Miguel Andujar has been on his tail, has been significantly better, uh, and he hasn't even been all that good. I mean, I remember last week, you guys know I was at the stadium. I remember getting excited when Clint Frazier hit the double, and his average went up to like 188. <laughs> and, and here I am chanting like an idiot, like all excited for Clint Frazier, and he's not even hitting 190. So well, and he and he begged out last – he had dizziness last night and was out of the game. So they, yeah, he's, I mean, he's, 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 he's not even sure right now. Concussion? Does that stem from the concussion? And now everyone's favorite punching bag of late is 38-year-old Brett Gardner. But the fact of the matter is, is that Yankees signed Brett Gardner, one of the three left-handed bats on the team, to be the fifth outfielder and to play every three days. Exactly. To, you know, play left, play center field. So to sit here and knock Brett Gardner for hitting 205 when he's playing every day, when he probably sh should be retired at this point, it's just asinine because the guy, it's not this guy's fault. He wasn't told he was going to play. And I'm sure he's not complaining because who doesn't want to play baseball? But I, this guy's hitting 205 and is playing every day, center field and left field. At his age, he's playing center field on occasion when we don't schlep judge out there. Uh, it's just a recipe to lose. I can't believe this, this team is even over 500 right now. Yeah, I know we're going a few minutes over with you, Declan, but I got to get into this one point here, okay? And Mike and I have spent exactly zero minutes of any one of our shows on sticky stuff. Um, but if you want to, if you're a guy who wants to, uh, point to Garrett Cole as the poster boy for sticky stuff, now would be the time to make that case because if you look at the difference between his starts early in the season and his most recent starts, I mean, I think that gives you the perfect ammunition to build that case. How about you? I think the thing with Cole is that it's not even that it's affecting his performance a lot. It's just affecting some of the, his stuff. And when his stuff gets affected and his slider's not moving as sharp and his fastball is more flat, he's losing the strikeouts. I mean, the guy went eight innings against Toronto a few weeks ago. I think it was his thir three starts ago. And he eight innings, two runs, four Ks. I mean, he's, he's averaging half a strikeout an inning, which or a strikeout every two innings, which obviously is not the Garrett Cole that's making $324 million. Personally, I think the MLB is handling this. If they could handle it any worse... I'd like that to be a challenge for them. And I'm not even surprised at this point because Rob Manfred is so bad, he shouldn't even have a job. He is the worst commissioner. And, and his predecessor was Bud Selig, who turned a blind eye to the entire steroid era and still got into the Hall of Fame before any of the guys who were juicing. So as far as I'm concerned, I, I know Cole has been the poster boy, but there are guys like Bauer. I mean, Josh Donaldson thinks he's like – the Pope for acting like he's, he's just yeah, no, no, no. I don't want to hear it from Josh Donaldson. <laughs> Believe me, I don't want to hear it from him because he's nobody. Hey, listen, Josh, I I'll tell you right now, it's not Garrett Cole's fault you hit 225 last season. All right, can we it's, get that out not, of the way? I love, I love what Giolito said. He said, you know what? He's well, I mean, I guess I can't say everything he said because we're on a radio <laughs> show that doesn't allow R rated language, but he said, you know what? The W is next to my name. Uh, and you're in last place. So why is Donaldson hitting his his whatever? I mean, what is he hitting right now? 250? Like, if that's the case, you should be ashamed of yourself. It's not sticky anymore, and you still can't get to the average that you were six years ago when you were irrelevant and a really good baseball player. So I'm sick of Josh Donaldson. I mean, he like I, the fact that he thinks he's the poster boy for saving the game. I mean, all right, congratulations. You got Tyler Glass now out for the rest of the season. How's the MLB feel about that? 
the AL Cy Young favorite, in my opinion, I thought he was going to get it over Colin Otani, uh, is now out. And the Rays playoff bid in the AL East, which has been the NFC East, in my opinion, for the most part, maybe the NL East has been more the NFC East equivalent in Major League Baseball. Most fun, I mean, for sure, for it's sure. Just, just oh, just I know I'm on a Yankee segment right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But to see these guys go down, and I, I know you guys are more of the old school train of thought, so I'm sure that you don't love the sticky stuff, but I think that there's got to be some universal substance that is allowed. Because if you look at these balls, I mean, what the MLB has done, even in the past 40 years, baseball obviously is always going to be advantage pitcher, the game in its nature. But what the MLB has done to make this game advantage hitter, and I don't want to get off on a tangent here, but between lower in the mound, bringing in the fences, we saw them do it at City Field 10 years ago. I mean, the only thing that they've allowed for the defense and the pitcher is the shift. Everything they've done, they give the hitters pine tar, the hitters can do whatever they want. They juiced the balls two years ago and the year before, and now they overcompensated by ruining it. And now they're taking it out on the pitchers because they're acting like sticky stuff is why they're dominating and that the balls were fine to begin with. It's it's like if deflate gate was a sport. It's unbelievable. One more quick one for me, Declan. Uh, I think I'm going to regret having to ask you this question because uh -oh. last time I asked you this question, it didn't work out so well. But uh, I'm fired up today. You gotta, yeah, you gotta no, it's great. I mean, uh, you, I, I have some de decaf for you. But um, <laughs> um, what are you expecting from the series up in the Bronx against our crosstown rivals this weekend? Uh, what am I expecting? A bunch of rain. I think they're going to play five innings of each game. And – Nothing's going to happen from any of it. Okay. That's what I think is going to happen. No, I don't know. Uh, as far as the actual game goes itself, I, for some reason, I think that the Yankees, because the up and down team that they are, uh, I think that they'll find a way to, to at least make some noise. You know, and the Mets are not exactly the, you know, 27 Yankees themselves right now uh, after losing 20 to 2 to the Braves, who are are also not the 27 Yankees. They're not even the 2020 Mets or the 2021 Mets for that much. Uh, so I think that they'll, that they'll find a way. It's July 4th weekend in New York. As bad as, as the Yankees have been, New York baseball is beautiful in the sense that it'll always bring people together. Uh, and to have the Subway Series, in, and I know I trash the MLB and uh, its marketing schemes, but to have the Subway Series round one, July 4th weekend, and round two, on the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Uh, it was really just great on their part. So it'll be exciting to see. Hopefully we'll get some fireworks on Sunday Night Baseball uh, and some guys will get it out of the yard. Well, I guess it'll be no left-handed hitters from the Yankees to do that in the short porch that they built for themselves, uh, which is just genius uh, as I go on another rant about the Yankees. Uh, but I think it'll be a close series for the most part. Two teams struggling. Uh, give me the Yankees two out of three. All right. That'll be my prediction. All right, Declan. I got to get to sticks with some hockey, but a terrific job by you tonight. And we'll talk to you probably in another week or two, okay? Have fun, guys. Thanks for having me. Enjoy Thanks, the Declan. weekend. Take care. All right, Mike. So before uh, we get John on the phone, uh, my buddy Tony Abate uh, agrees with Declan. He says, great point. Just the total embarrassment, the way they're checking the pitchers. Not sure, but I thought I heard they wanted they went to check a pitcher after he gave up four runs that inning. So, Tony, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for commenting. Any other thing on the baseball, Mike, or the Subway Series before we get to Johnny Sticks? The only thing I, I can say is that Changing something in the middle of a season, especially with pitchers and their grip on a baseball, it makes absolutely zero sense. I mean, to me, just for even from a safety standpoint, the pitchers, of course, you know, they're likely uh, going to be upset no matter what change is made, when it's made. But in the middle of a season, my goodness, I mean, I, I just I, I can't wait to hear the rationale behind that. Yeah. And listen, before we get sticks on, just really quick, I mean, Chris mentioned it. We didn't dig into it. Thankfully, we didn't dig into it. But I got to come back to your preference not to bring Trevor Bauer in. I mean, the stuff that is going on with him, Mike, we don't want to even want to talk no, about on the no. show. This is a family show. Um, so this past week, it's been curtains for the New York Islanders here to help us make sense of it and to talk about where they go from here is our Islanders reporter, Johnny Sticks. John Santa Maria. John, how are you? Mike, Mike good evening. It's a pleasure. Hey, John. 
Yeah, so John, uh, really, really disappointing that game seven, that Friday night down in uh, Tampa. Islanders had a couple really good chances in that game. The two I can think of off the top of my head that were the best chances to me were the one with Bailey right in front of the net where he tipped it high. And then there was the one with Barzal to the left where he, really good idea, tried to get the shot off really quickly because Vasilevsky was out of position and he just couldn't get the trigger pulled on time. What do you think were the best opportunities for the Islanders in that game? Yeah, I think you could say that too. Certainly second period was certainly some of the better chances, had some opportunities in the third. But one thing to really sum the whole thing up in a quick for a span of time and to get to other things too is um, – the fact that you were facing a world-class goalie and Vasilevsky is as good as they come. You knew what you were getting probably top, top goalie in the league. And he, he showed why and Tampa's on a whole nother level and the Islanders gave him a good fight. It was a, a great series, a great season, couple of lopsided games, but that's going to happen. Tampa's as talented as they come. And now the thing, what I learned from here is it can only continue to go up in Edmonton last year in the bubble. It was a six-game series in the conference finals. What this year? It was a seven-game. They were one win away from the Stanley Cup. Now the expectation going forward, whatever group comes back, this Islander team is going to be a Stanley Cup favorite come next season. Yeah, John. Um, don't want to dig too far into that game seven, but we have to because we didn't have you on before the game. Uh, one of the things I mentioned to Coach Mike in setting up that game was that the Islanders in that series were one for 16 on the power play. So that night, not only do they not score on the power play, but they give up a shorthanded goal. And that's really been the strength of the team, the penalty kill. It's unfortunate. One bounce turned in. This was a shorthanded goal. Um, one of those flukes you've seen from time to time. But, yeah, the power play is an area that we still need work and improvement on. And certainly getting Ender's lead back next season will certainly be a help to that. There's going to be some other roster decisions that are made, but I think the talk is going to be around improving the power play. Barry Trotz already said there's going to be no changes to the coaching staff, so everybody will be back, will be invited back. Um, so Jim Hiller, who runs the power play, will be back running the unit. And there has been times that the power play unit has looked good, and there's times it's looked absolutely bad. The, the goal is now to make it a more consistent unit. With... Uh... John, the, the lineup next year, and I know that, as you mentioned, there's a lot of you know differences that we, that we can talk about with the Seattle Kraken coming in for the uh, expansion draft, and you know unrestricted free agents. And really, the big three are you know Travis Zajac, Kyle Palmieri, and Casey Sezikis. Uh, I guess if we're going to focus more on realistic options with that, and it's really Palmieri and Sezikis. Sezikis is the identity guy, loved by his teammates. Um, you know, lifelong Islander. But it's almost looking like it's going to be very difficult to bring him back. Um, if we, in fact, do lose him, uh, who is up next to step up and and fill, you know, maybe not the positional role, but but just a role on the team? You know, Oliver Wallstrom showed some 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 very big promise before he got hurt. Kiefer Bellows a little bit, but uh, you know, Lamarillo, in speaking with the press earlier in, in his exit interview, was saying that the team will obviously have to be a little different next year due to these factors, um, is it likely that we can get Sezikis or even Palmieri back uh, you know, at a reasonable well, salary? Listen, before we even get to unrestricted free agency, the Islanders have three restricted free agents of their own. They have to take care of paying. And Lula Morello also said, too, that those three will be taken care of on this team. And that's Adam Pellick, Anthony Bavillier, and Ilya Sorokin, who all need new contracts. They are restricted free agents. And they all have to be, with the exception of Sorokin, uh, the other two have to be protected in the expansion draft. So those deals need to get done. You need you you cannot the unrestricted free agents are exempt from the Seattle Kraken, but a restricted free agent you need to protect. So Anthony Bavillier will be one of the players that's protected. So will Pellet. But those are also important deals that you need to get done. As far as Casey Sezikis, I think more than anything, it is a priority for Lula Morello and Barry Trotz to get him re-signed at whatever cost it might be. Uh, the reason for that, the fourth line has become so important. The second part of it, too, I certainly do think if this was a couple of years ago, there might be teams who would give crazy money to Sezikis. 
with the cap staying flat at $82.5 million or whatever the exact number is going to be, if it's whatever chunk change it might be. I don't know if the team is going to want to dish money out to Sazikas. And the reason why I say that, it's the same thing I feel with Matt Martin. When he left the Islanders the first time, went to Toronto, he did not play very well in those two years. So other teams won't eat that fourth one. And the same with Cal Clutterbuck being as possible, will Seattle take him? They're a product of playing together. That they would be concerned if we hit Martin, you break those guys up on another team, they're not going to succeed the way they succeed on the island playing with those three guys. So that's something that might come to the minds of Ronnie Francis, who's the general manager of the Kraken, or other teams looking ahead of center. Sezikis, I think he could adapt where he goes, but I still think that's in the back of other teams' minds. Uh, I want to bring up two guys with you, John, in terms of their possible exposure to the expansion draft. Um, Jordan Eberle, who, you know, I kind of called out before that game six. You told me to be patient. He had that uh, nice backhanded goal to cut it from two to one in that game six. And also I wanted to mention Nick Letty. What do you feel about those guys in terms of their possible exposure in the expansion draft? So before we get to them, just so everybody understands, you can the, the way most of these teams will protect their players, it's a 7-3-1 model. Seven forwards, three defensemen, and a goalie. So let's run through that really quickly. Barlamo will be the goalie protected because Sorokin's exempt. He's only finished his first year. Right. The three defensemen, the Islanders will protect. And I don't see why this will. And this has been reported in a couple of places, but and it's certainly something I agree with, too. You will protect Ryan Pulak, Adam Pellick, since he's a restricted free agent, and Scott Mayfield. Um, Noah Dobson's exempt. He only just finished his first or second year, whatever his status is, so he's not going to be on that list. Andy Green's an unrestricted free agent. He wouldn't be taken anyway. He's 39 years old. The Islanders will get him back no problem as long as he wants to play. So that leaves Nick Lennon out. We'll come back to him in a second. The forwards, seven forwards you look at. It. Barzal, Bailey, Lee. Bavillier. Um, I need three more. Uh, Pajot, Pajot. That's five, and there's a couple. There's a couple more. I can't. Let me think. Lee Barzal, Bailey, Bavillier, Brock Nelson, and yeah, that's all. That's a seven, something like that. Okay. I couldn't think of one. I think you only got to six, but okay. I'm I'm feeling you. Maybe Matt. Maybe Matt Martin's on that list too. Okay. But something like that. So that's why the name Jordan Everly keeps coming up. Palmieri's a free agent. We know that. The reason why I think that's also being brought up, both of those guys contacts are at $5 million, $5-plus million. That's a nice number to take on for a new team because they have to take 30 contracts. They're not the only team who's not giving a player to Seattle is Vegas because they're, they're not even five years into the league yet. So they were exempt. So they're going to take 30 players. You have to get to the $82.5 million. You're going to have to take a couple of bad contracts. Is five a bad number to take? $5.5 million? Could be. Depends what else you take. But the other name that could also be brought up too is Andrew Ladd. If the if Lamorello decides to sweeten the pot, throw them a draft pick, get him off the Islanders' plate. I think he's only got a couple of years left on his contract. And he could try to keep the rest of the team together. Yeah, that's a tough that's a tough contract to try to get rid of. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I think in a perfect world, that's the one you want to get rid of for sure. Yeah, the, the reason why that could be done, this happened with these two. This was I was reading, I was catching up on this the other day. They took Dave Clarkson. He used to play for the Devils. He was in Toronto. They threw him on long-term IR because some what the Kraken are also going to look for is draft picks. They want to add extra draft picks. So if certain guys are set, if they're gonna there's gonna be handshake agreements. This happened four years ago. This happened. The Islanders did this too. They gave a first round pick to Vegas and they agreed on the player that they were going to take. They took a minor league goal. It was a Barube. And they gave them a contract that ended up going on long term IR in exchange for like two draft picks. You'll see that happening. I don't know if the Islanders are going to want to do that this time. So losing Letty or losing Eberly may not be the worst thing. They're both over. Letty's almost at, in his 30s now towards the end of his contract. It could possibly get some other guys some exposure and also some other pass space. So the reason why those guys have been brought up because if, say, you lose Everly, then it gives you the, the room 
to maybe bring Kyle Palmieri back at that same number. Is there any big name out there that it, that is intriguing for the Islanders that with all these different you know moving parts is a possibility? I mean, I hate to to bring up Alex Ovechkin. You know, I mean, I don't want him on this team whatsoever. But there, you know, of I, course, I it's think- a sexy name, and he's out there. I'm just curious if you think. Is there a name that's worth bringing in, or is it just a matter of let's keep this group? I think, to be honest with you, I think right now it's going to be very tricky, and I think that's going to be a question that we can answer better after the expansion draft happens because free agency doesn't start for a week later. So then we can get better ideas. And we might also see some trade movement, too. We've heard some talks that Vladimir Tarasenko has the Islanders on a – he has an trade clause, but he has the Islanders on a list. But what are you going to give up to get someone like him? I know Nashville and the Kings made a trade. I think any movement we're going to see right now is for expansion draft and protection purposes. But as far as the Islanders are concerned, it's going to be really hard for them to make a move. It's going to be hard for a lot of other teams to make moves too, to make their teams better because of this draft coming up. Yeah, John, my buddy Russ is commenting us, a huge Islander fan, and he says just because you expose somebody, you're not necessarily losing them. He also feels confident the Islanders will lose uh, Nick Letty. So, um, yeah, I, that's the one, and that's a good. That's a good. It's a good contract to take. Yeah, it would be unfortunate after all these years here, but it's not going to be as easy as it was a few years ago. When the Knights came into the league, the Islanders, they're probably going to lose a player. If it was let, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world because you could really get some more younger defense that you have. Then you give yourself probably almost almost $6 million to play with between paying Pellick and maybe bringing in defensemen at a cheaper rate. And then you could also possibly look for a way to keep Palmieri. I think the, the COVID pandemic certainly change some things to with this expansion draft because we probably wouldn't be talking about losing a Nick Letty right now if there wasn't COVID. So it's unfortunate. It's the world we live in right now. But one thing that I've learned, and I think the reality is the Islanders know that the organization knows this team's not going to look the same uh, come the fall as this group that ended in game seven. John, fantastic job. I got it. Listen, I got to thank you. I give you credit. You've been with Mike and me since we started. You brought us all through the regular season, all through the postseason. And we didn't forget also the work you did off the ice, helping us create our YouTube channel and getting that off the ground. So we really, really appreciate you. We're going to give you a break for a couple weeks. We'll have you back on to talk about prospective free agents and stuff like that. But thanks again, John. We really mean it. Yes, Terrific we'll recap, job. Looking forward to recapping Seattle. On. But one comment I wanted to make, because I heard it on the way in, too, with uh, the Trevor Ballard talk, I think that was one of the smartest things of Sandy <laughs> Olsen and Steve Cohen and Zach Scott, whoever was the – or even if Jared Porter was there at the time. I think it was a lifesaver for the Mets, especially with – not just what's going on now. He's not pitching to the level he was pitching at last year. Yeah, Jared Porter wanted to uh, corner the market on harassment himself. Oh, no. Come on. <laughs> stop that. In a weak, weak Central Division. Let's talk. Let's get real how weak the National League and AL Central's were last year. DeGrom probably would have had his ERA now pitching against it. So it's like I wasn't even fully impressed with Bauer. So everything worked out for a reason. Uh, Mets different story right now, but we'll talk about that uh, down the road. Hopefully, uh, team gets a little more healthier. All right, John. Thanks, thanks again, so man. Much, we'll talk to you soon. All right, guys. Have a good night. All right, be well. Man, just to put a cap on that, Mike. I mean, sometimes, as they say in sports, I know it's a cliche. I don't like to talk in cliches, but the best deal is the one that you don't make. Absolutely, definitely. And then one last name I want to bring up on the hockey front. I was going to mention it to John, but we ran out of time. Uh, a big name with the Islanders that's that has been around for a long time, and the guy is only 25 years old, Josh Hosang. I don't know if you remember that. He was a, a highly touted draft choice, up, down, previous regime, the whole nine yards. He was somebody who was supposed to be the Islanders' next savior. You missed the first day of rookie training camp because he overslept. They sent him all. So you Islander fans out there, Josh Hosang, he's an under, unrestricted free agent. And you'll never hear his name again. I hate to say it, but good riddance. 
Yeah, well, you know what, Mike? Um, let's broaden out the picture a little bit and look at Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, Tampa holds serve at home last night, uh, three to one last night, five to one on Monday. They now lead in that series two zero. They lead two zero, and they're going to Montreal, where they're only allowing, I believe, thirty five hundred fans, maybe a few more. But Canada has major restrictions, um, so there's going to really be very little to zero home ice advantage there. Tampa just looks like the better team. I think it's their year once again. Uh, it's a killer for Islander fans because we were so close. And you, know, you want to put the the pieces together again. You say, oh, well, if we'd won that series, then the cup would have been ours. But listen, we didn't. It's Tampa's year. Uh, for Montreal to come back down 2-0 in this type of scenario can be very, very difficult. All right. So uh, let's step away from the hockey for a sec and spend just a minute or two on your favorite sport, Phoenix took care of business out oh, west. I, I thought you meant tennis. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> Phoenix no, took no, care of business no, out west in the a, NBA. That's an inside joke because tennis is my, my second favorite sport. Um, yeah, we're going to skip over Wimbledon okay, for the moment. Right, maybe next year. Um, but anyway, so Phoenix is in the finals. Um, in the east is much more interesting, though. Uh, series tied at 2-2. They play at Milwaukee tonight. No Giannis. No Giannis. And um, Trey Young also hurt. What are we hearing about Trey Young? Last word on him was questionable, which is probably they're leaning towards keeping him out. Uh, you know, deep bone bruise on his foot. Um, you know, if it was 3-2, they're down. Who knows? 2-2, uh, I'm sure he wants to be out there, of course. There, there's there's no question about it. Um, with Giannis out, it does kind of equal the playing field a little bit um, if he is, in fact, held out. It's going to be a tough one. I mean, th this series here, it's the battle of attrition. It's who can stay healthy. Um, you don't like to see anybody go down. Very scary when Giannis, anything with the knee hyperextension, um, you know, that's something. Just look at Kawhi. You know, you could be out for quite a long time. Uh, are they downplaying and hoping he can come back for, uh, you know, game six? I don't know, Trey Young. I'm a little bit more uh, optimistic about. Not that, you know, bruises to people's feet or anything to be, uh, you know, laughed at. But Giannis is the one. He is such a difference for them. Trey, uh, you know, can he come back, play a little bit? We'll see. Uh, but it is 2-2. Did anybody ever in a thousand years, a million years, think that the Atlanta Hawks would be going toe-to-toe -to -toe with a top team? In the Eastern Conference? No, it's true, Mike. But when you look at it from an interest standpoint, look at the casual NBA fan, right? Sure. Um, your, your team is out of it. Now you've got two teams that are kind of small market, right? You've got uh, Atlanta and you've got Milwaukee, which is definitely small market. And then you've got the two marquee players out. I mean, that's a tough ask for a casual basketball fan to tune into that game tonight. Yeah, it, it's a very tough ask. I mean... I don't know what else uh, the nation is going to be tuning into at the point. Obviously, baseball's in full swing. Um, don't want to mention the WNBA because I don't think they're losing any fans, unfortunately, to that as a as a women's basketball coach. Serena's out of the mix in Ser Wimbledon. Serena, there you go. I'm giving you a tennis Thank pop. you very Let's much. Go. Yes, and they're five hours ahead, so they, there's not much to, to think about at uh, 12 a.m. Uh, tennis-wise. But, yeah, it's, it's a tough – definitely a tough ask to – to see if they can get any significant numbers on a game like this. Um, the only thing I think, you know, the true basketball fan, of course, is going to watch this game. But what I'm looking at is if both those guys are out and if that extends longer, what is the strategy? Uh, who steps up? Who doesn't? We talked about Kevin Herter last week for the Atlanta Hawks. Came out of nowhere. Does he have a huge game? Uh, you know, Milton for Milwaukee has been a primetime player pretty much all year long. So I got to if both guys are out, I got to give Milwaukee the edge in this one. Yeah, you know, one more thing I want to bring up with you, Mike, and I didn't want to get into it with Declan because we went a little long with Declan. But I myself am not a huge Joe Madden fan. OK, so let's put this in the context of last night's game. OK, okay. Um, here is this kid. And obviously, I'm a fan of the kid. He has charisma. He's trying to do something nobody else in the game is trying to do. And I give him all the credit in the world. Um, 
I, as a fan who's over a certain age, tried to filter out a lot of the noise about Otani. And I said, you know what? When I saw him hit a homer against the Yanks Monday night and saw him hit two homers on Tuesday night or was it the other way around, I said, listen, I've got to give this kid his due. He can really hit. This is no hype. This is no hooey. Um, you know, and I'm a fan of the kid. But if you're Joe Madden, I mean, this is what makes me nuts. It's bizarre. I mean, you can't put a DH. I mean, um, and and not only are you going to have the kid bat for himself, which I think is a little bizarre and a little greedy, but also, I mean, what happens if the kid stinks up the joint and gives up seven runs in the first inning, mm. and now you lost your DH? So, you know, what bothered me about last night was not just – the crazy rain delays that added up to over two hours. It was also the fact that Joe Madden, who I can't stand, came off smelling like a rose, even though he did completely the wrong thing with his team, completely the wrong thing um, with his pitcher. And and I just, it, it bothered me, I got to say. And, and I don't blame you. I mean, Joe Madden, when he was so successful in Tampa, one of the things that he was heralded for was thinking outside the box. Okay. Let's think outside the box. Now, bear with me here, though. I'm going to agree with it. When you uh, you go with pitching by committee and some of the other things that he did, uh, you know, it, that was done a little bit out of necessity and also just to shake things up. And he was successful. Hey, that team was, you know, at the top for quite a long time, had never seen any success, and you needed to do like do things like that to get fannies in the seats in Tampa. Now, in this scenario here, completely no reason. What you, are you trying to outsmart? Are you trying to look at like you know Tony Larusa? Where that's you're, exactly it. you're he's the smartest to, guy in the room. Yes, he's trying to prove that he's the guy who invented Absolutely. baseball. He's Abner Doubleday the second. He's so much smarter than everybody else that he's not only going to ask this kid to hit for himself on a ninety degree at game time day. In New York City, in the Bronx, in Yankee Stadium, he's going to have him lead off, which means he's going to come to bat before he ever takes the mound. Mike, come on. I can't take it. Please. No, and you're right. He did come off very easily with the rally and everything else. I'm going to be shocked, though, if you see him do that again. If he has the, as Declan used the term before, stones to do that again, I, I will be surprised, not shocked, though, because it is Joe Madden, and we're talking about egos, but it just makes little sense. Yeah, it's great theater and whatever else, but we're not talking about theater. The theaters are still closed here in New York. It's <laughs> no, about the, winning uh, baseball games. The boss is back on right. Broadway, baby. Okay. Is Let's that really go. theater, though? Hi. I don't know. I haven't seen it. Um, all right, folks. So that's going to do it for us here at Spot on Sports. Uh, we're here. We are here at Format Studio in Deer Park. It's a wonderful studio. We love it here. Our theme song, Spot On, is by Scott Daly. Our logo art is by Valerie Hanatic, the Jets fanatic. Our voiceover guy is the amazing A, Archie Snowden. Our engineer is the great Michael Anthony. Thanks to Chris Caputo. Thanks to Declan Krogman for hopping on with us. Thanks to Johnny Sticks, John Santa Maria. And I have to say, folks, in the words of the great American songwriter, Paul Simon, the words of the prophets are written on the subway walls and tenement halls, echoed in the sounds of silence. For Mike Adone, this is Mike Treza. We'll see you next time on Spot on Sports.